This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and no one is joining me today because Kat and John are on vacation for the month of July, and I am too technically, but I wanted to make sure I came uh, just on the air here to chat with you about today's episode, which is our conversation with award-winning, chart-topping a singer who made big, who made a big first in the 1980s and then just soared afterwards, Taylor Dane. And I'm going to play you that interview, and I want to give you just a little bit of a extra color in just a moment. But before that, I wanted to remind you, this week is the opportunity to see John, our delightful co-host, in person, because he's going to be appearing at the Southern Fried Gaming Expo from July 15th through the 17th. And you can visit GameATL.com and use the code GENXGROWNUP for $5 off of your ticket. So check that out. Uh, Say hi to John for me. And of course, GENXGROWNUP is the name of the podcast that John hosts and his YouTube channel, etc. He's a busy fellow. In fact, as I point out, he's on vacation this month and still working so that he can see you. So go and say hello. All right. Hey, we're back at the beginning of August with all new episodes and some exciting new tweaks, some new additions to the show to just make it uh, more interactive, more engaging, more fun for you, the listening audience. Okay, so I'm going to play Taylor Dane's interview, but I wanted to say a couple things first. One, I'm probably not going to number the whole list, so just whatever. First, I'm a huge Taylor Dane fan. I have been since her music first came out in uh, in the 1980s. At the time, you've heard me talk about this before, I was a teenage DJ trying to make money DJing parties, uh, school dances, that sort of thing. And so I was familiar with the music in that regard. I had a few of her 12 inches, you know, tell it to my heart, uh, prove your love, you know, which had the dance mixes, et cetera, that allowed DJs to really, you know, mix them with other songs, uh, do some creative stuff. Um, but also I had a crush on her. I thought she was just absolutely, uh, seemed delightful in interviews, just, you know, a gorgeous uh, person. So that comes into play when you hear my conversation with Taylor Dane, clearly. Uh, I didn't anticipate it, uh, but um, I don't know. It just, it just happened. That, that, and this is, I think this is the only time this has ever happened. And uh, you'll hear my uh, good buddy and former co-host Ray on here. I would say he tries to bail me out, you know, when I sort of uh, maybe get flustered, but I, I don't think he does. In retrospect, I think really he's just happy there to, you know, toss another uh, shovel full of dirt on top of me so that he can then have Taylor to himself. I think that was really his motivation. I don't think he would disagree. But I've got to say, you know, the whole process of getting celebrity guests on the show is interesting. You know, you reach out to publicists, managers, agents, and you, fingers crossed, hope, one, that they're going to respond at all, but two, that the their, you know, their guest will be willing to come on the show. And oftentimes the process takes weeks, months of back and forth before you, you get an answer, yes or no, you know, sometimes. But Taylor Dane, I was shocked that uh, when I reached out to her publicist, the answer came back pretty quickly, yes. When do you want to talk to her? Stunned, uh, because again, such a big fan of hers. And uh, she's a pretty big deal. Speaking of that, we've got plenty of cool guests, exciting uh, 1980s icons coming up on future episodes, brand new content starting in August. We will talk to you then. In the meantime, 
check out this episode that you, or this interview that you may have missed. It's a conversation with the amazing, the talented, the delightful Taylor Dane. Born Leslie Wonderman, our guest today battled a number of challenges throughout her early life. Ultimately, overcoming these adversities, she rose to fame in 1987 with her chart-topping single, Tell It To My Heart, which I can't say without you know, going to sing it, but I'm not, I'll spare you. Uh, signed to Arista Records by the legendary Clive Davis, her success continued with six additional top 10 hits, including Prove Your Love and I'll Always Love You. And in recognition of her superior talent, our guest has earned three Grammy Award nominations, an American Music Award, and many New York Music Awards. And more than a singer, our guest is also a talented actor. Among her many appearances, she has performed on Broadway in Elton John's Aida and in Warren Beatty's 1994 remake of Love Affair. You can read all about her journey in her amazing autobiography, Tell It To My Heart. And there I almost sing it again. Please welcome to the show, Taylor Dane. Gosh, that feels weird even saying that. Oh, thank you. I don't know if that's a great thing, a weird thing, or a fantastic thing. Well, I feel like in the very least, I should call you Ms. Dane or, you know, uh, it it just seems so too familiar, you know. Um, It is an odd thing, though, right? Uh, Folks, you must have this experience, having been in the public for so many years now, that folks feel like they know you in a way that you don't know them, you know? So sure, it, it's, I don't know. It's an odd thing. I don't know. It's a strange thing. You know, I, um, I kind of understand what you mean because, and then I'm, I'm very, very New York, <laughs> very sure. New York. And yet I understand because if Stevie wonder walked in the room, yeah. I'd say <laughs> Mr. Wonder. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I would say Mr. Wonder or, you know, I understand it's, it's respect or it's um, admiration. It's yeah, and, and a million things. I understand. It's an odd thing with celebrity where you feel like, you know, and this is some of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this uh, connection that you wind up having a connection with someone uh, in a way that they don't have with you. But it's, it's one sided and it's, it's unrequited, but it's rewarding still. Um, so it's strange when you actually meet someone like yourself who, you don't know me, but that I really feel as if I know you. I'm not, this is not a question, Taylor. You're going to learn very quickly. A lot <laughs> okay. of these are just observations. Okay. So Go ahead, I'll, roll I'll, with it, baby. <laughs> roll with it, baby. <laughs> yes. I'll actually start asking questions. So I thought I was just going to ask you about uh, your music, you know, and what, what the scene was like in New York in the 1980s. And we'll get to that. But- then I read your book and I, I became more fascinated with your, your journey. And folks who don't know need to read Taylor's book, Tell It To My Heart, even if you're not a fan of Taylor's music and you don't know who Taylor is. And I don't know who that, who that would be at this point. But because it's a book about, you know, the, the, about taking yourself from point A to point B in, 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 a, in a healthy way and a journey that we all should take. Well, with bumps and many bumps. Right. You know, a journey is a journey, right? And right. there's definitely bumps in our roads. And it's a journey that continues today, I'd imagine. This never ends, guys. This is a lifetime process, learning oneself and healing one's self so we can move through, move through, move past, heal, heal, heal. What we're in now is all as a collective in this healing process, as a collective world to heal as the world needs healing. So we can get through this and let our earth heal so we can actually heal collectively so the earth can heal so we can actually continue as a species it's just it's profound what's happening 
And so many folks, unfortunately, um, may not go on this journey. And in your book, you talk about how at a very early age, music spoke to you in a way that sort of lit up this path that you saw as a, as a way of getting out of your home and beyond the, uh, I guess, the uh, behavior that's being modeled for you by your parents. But, but many people never, you know, take that trip. And, and instead, you know, uh, they, they just get stuck in the cycle, you know, in a cycle that begins with their own parents who they learn certain lessons from. And we it, all are. I mean, it is, it, it's, there's no blame here. This is just, this sure. is what this time is. This, this is, we all are a product of what we learn and what we know, which this is a chance to learn better and do better. This is really what we have. And through music right. and through the arts right. and through when you can learn and do better, that was what you were exposed to. That little radio, that music is what mm -hmm. I had a chance in my youth to listen to these other voices. They came through a box, right? <laughs> or through a stereo or through a 33 or through a 30, 45. And they weren't my parents' words. They weren't right. the words in the apartments next door. They were somebody else's and they were filled with light and love. And then I got to see them pictures and I go, they look happy. They look proud. They look yeah. my fever pitched and, you know, they looked excited by life and I wanted to follow them. And that was just a choice I made to follow them because they looked rich and happy and sexy. I mean, <laughs> that's in the mind of a five-year-old and that's yeah, who that's I chose to follow. And that happened to be, you know, the voices of our day. That's why the youth follow the arts. That's that's why we want to follow rock and roll and passion and dance and art and flow and rap and hip hop now because they're flowing, they're free flowing and they have something on their mind and they're not afraid to tell us. Yeah. But I, but I think, yes, but I think maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit because at some point you just, like you're saying, you made a decision to go right instead of left. And mo many folks, like you're right. saying, may aspire to want something just for the fame or the fortune that comes with it, Correct. but not make the decision that I recognize this one type of pattern of behavior or relationships as- bad, right. You fight very hard for it. That's correct. In my book, I talk about the struggles I went through personally. I went through agoraphobia. I went through bulimia. I went through all my anxieties, everything before the age of 18 that no child through physical, I was hospitalized by the age of five. These are my own personal lifetime struggles that I went through before the age of 16 that no child should bear. Mm. No, but this is what my story is and that I fought because I said, I want to be a rock and roll star. I want to be a singer so badly that I had to journey on this journey. And this is what you fight through to live your dreams and my, your gift and to push through and God and my dream and my gift and my light pushed me through. And I took my my um, tools and I worked them to such a point as the outlier and I spent my 10,000 hours and then some right. like any athlete, any pro, anything, any, you know, any greatness takes that, those, that time. And that's what I did. And I became very successful at it. Yes. So, so you understood, so you understood early uh, on the power of your, your voice, even as a, as a young girl, what do your parents who impart your rebelling against make of it? My father and my parents definitely, I was like, fuck you, get out of my way anyway. Yep. But they were mind blown by like, she's like, 
follow the yellow brick road. Like I was just, <laughs> she was going. And then I was just going and my ear was just so the obvious of my ear and the people that were coming into my life. And it's just so obvious when like an athlete picks up a ball or a baseball or a basketball and they're just, just so driven. It's so obvious they're, you know, and people fall into line to, you know, usually accept that when the mind is like a, a, a skill is, is more obvious to those that can watch it, a design eye, a mathematician, like we can see that and you want to get in line because it's, it's beautiful to watch. And people were what saw that in my, my, like in our school, when I was growing up, we had band, we had instrument was a class, like voice was a class. We had chorus and my teacher, they were like, whoa, Wonderman's got a voice, like, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> put her in chorus, like she's in kindergarten, who cares, let her sing a solo, like, her. Like, it was like, I was singing Jacques Brel in fourth grade, I was eight. But you seem to understand that, you know, so later you discover these authors that talk about, in one way or another, the power of intention, that what you put out, you get back, but it seems like before you found those authors, even as a child, as a young person, you understood that if I do X, you know, uh, I'm more likely to get Y. Yeah, I played with it. I played with it. But my mm. parents were also, you know, I was raised in a Jewish household that the arts were revered, you know, right. with all that that heavy, dense hate and, and violence. And still they came from, you know, ostracized Judaism in Europe. And my parents were first generation Holocaust surviving children. My point was they still knew opera, f- theater, that was where we're still going to shine. And so they still dragged me to the Manhattan Theater Club and off, off, off Broadway. And I still said, well, I'm going to study operatically. I'm going to at least preserve a voice no matter how. And 30 years later, I still have a voice. Mm. And I sang in every rock club. I said, you're never going to get me. And I studied with a a vocal coach from, you know, Juilliard in Manhattan. Mm. And I studied operatically. And that's the other, you know, I sang in every rock club and my coach was there and I studied operatically. Is that one of the most surprising things that uh, people learn or hear about you that how much you've actually studied or not just some, you know, didn't pop out of nowhere? No, I mean, I was classically trained. Yeah. Right. Even when I was on tour with Michael Jackson, Seth Briggs came to me and he goes, what's up? <laughs> and he goes, I don't get it. And I go, I'm classically trained. And he goes, there you go. <laughs> Do you think that, uh, you know, there's been many studies done about the connection between uh, creativity and trauma. Uh, the fact that so many artists, you know, there's been studies done where a good percentage of artists have experienced some sort of challenges through life and different than uh, other uh, folks that go on to different lines uh, of work. And part of it is processing the trauma, you know, uh, Frida Kahlo painted as a way to deal with her, you know, her accidents that she had as, you know, as a child. Um, do you think that you would have followed the same path if not for the, the particular type of adversity you experienced as a young person? I don't know, but I would imagine that's the very essence of, of, of trauma. Very trauma itself lives within your body. It's a physical presence, right? right? It stays in your, it's a physical, it's, it's maintained. So I can tell you every day how it maintains in my body, but I've definitely by physically getting out there and nature has definitely done an incredible, you know, I've worked with it, yoga, meditation. These are all very freeing and very um, grounding tools 
But I know psychedelics, people tell me all the time and just allowing, you know, the certain rituals that you can do that it actually can take that out of your system. Yeah. I've heard of uh, EMDR. Yeah. Rapid eye. Yeah, right. And you sort of focus on the thing that- Wow. Is this 80s? I don't- <laughs> <laughs> See, okay. Yes. This is 80s. Tell Ray, me, look, where this are is- you in Ray, Ray. He's the serious guy. I'm the one who's only going to ask you fluff questions. Like, see, yeah. When you first stepped in front of a microphone, did it did it feel like home? Ooh. Oh, I was probably scared shitless. I don't feel <laughs> like home. No, I wouldn't say home at all. I was just probably petrified. Hmm. I mean, remember, I was probably in the first club I ever was was probably 16. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure, and it was um, Long Island or it was New York. So. But this but, the club, I probably lied and said I was 18. Yeah, yeah I, I know all about that too. Right track in or it was, <laughs> you know, the bitter end or, you know. But you went back again and again and again. Oh, again and so again. how terrified could you have actually been? Well, I was in a band, honey. It mm, wasn't just yeah. me by myself. It was probably felony or, or mm, any one of yeah. the bands I was in. It was felony or... You yeah. know, though, that first time when you stand in front of that microphone, you feel all alone when the lights go out until the lights come back up a little bit and you can see the rest of the band. So mm-hmm. that that first moment, though, you're like, "Did I really want to stand here and do this?" Dude, I think I even have my little. I think I even had my flute with me the first time. Oh. <laughs> like, Am I they going to make me play this? Or like, <laughs> you, you know, remember I was Leslie Wonderman, right. and they were like, "Leslie, you're going to have the little solo." I'm like, "What am I doing? Am I back in the marching band with the flute and I have to sing my first solo?" And I wasn't even the lead singer. I was like, you know, the background singer, and the, and I would do parts with him. I'm like, "What am I, Grace Slick with, with <laughs> Tommy, whatever his name was?" And I was like, oh, "It was crazy." Hey, that that worked out great for her and you. So. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. No, I think I was 17, my first band, yeah. Is it, and that's Felony? Out of high of? school, yeah. Nice. Mm. What kind of music was Felony? It was really, they were really good songwriters. Dino, um, what was the guy, the other guy's name? Shit, he'll be so mad at me. Um, <laughs> they were great guys. They were good songwriters. Yeah, Dino was definitely mostly the lead singwriter, uh, lead, lead songwriter. I had a massive crush on him. Oh, my God. But he was married. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Jeff, and then our bass player, Mike. Oh, my God. It was so crazy. And then I went, uh, that was about a year and a half. And then I was like 18, 19. And then I ended up in this other band that was playing majority New York City. These guys were really serious. They were much older than me, obviously, mid-20s, late-20s. And they were trying to get a record deal. And I was just like, oh, God, you know, learning my way through the recording studio with them and, and through their um, – it was crazy. And then of course it didn't, wasn't really going anywhere, but I was in that, that rehearsal studio. It was us and Joan Jett was in there. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, um, there was really great acts in Long Island there. You know, it was yep. like heckles and Jekylls had like, you know, stray cats bro- blossom, Joan broke, stray cats broke. Twisted Just, sister. You know, you're talking, it was um, top of the eighties, right? Yeah. Top of the 80s, mid 80s. And you talked about how, you know, Dee Snyder went to your high school. And so he came, he was one of the oh, old, Dee, yeah. alumni. Well, and then and Twisted broke, yeah. And you said, you tell the story about how he, he, they would have alumni come back and sing with the choir. And so here is, you know, suddenly Dee Snyder's well, Melinda Edwards was our choir teacher. Right. So what's it like to meet Dee then years later and find out, you know, he, he's a supporter, more than a supporter of yours, uh, years after well, he, you've seen he, him in your- 
Well, because of my producing partner was Rick Wade. Right. So Rick's like 19 living in a basement in Belmore in this recording studio. So, so you, I tell you, I'm working with these bands at like 18, 17, 18 felony. Then I'm working with this other band out of, out of upstate New York and we're working in the city primarily. And then I'm like 19, 20. And then I'm, I have demos now between felony and this other band, which is called the next. And that's more like, you know, that was the new wave. Yes. Wave, if you will. Right. Not really punk rock. It's more wave and it's everything from the city, but this guy's a really talented songwriter I'm working with Scott and our stuff's getting heard and we get flown out to, to LA and we start working with a couple of producers out there and we're getting our shot with a couple of record um, companies you know, remember, it's all about the record companies then, you know, so now we're at like 82, 83, we're shooting all these weird record, co- you know, just, just doing our demo stuff and getting a shot and doing, um, you know, uh, what is that crap for record companies, you know, when you sit in a room and they come all day, <laughs> like, remember that? And you play in these, like the pyramid yeah, uh, or any yeah, club. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, like, I can't even remember. We did all this shit. Like a showcase. Damn. Showcases. Uh, Christ. Yeah. We'd send out demo tapes and showcases. Oh, yeah. oh my land. And I played every club by then in New York with this band. Cause I devoted probably another, I don't know, year and a half. And then I was definitely lead singer there, but we had a full on band. It was great. And the great songs, but it was like, here I am 21. I'm like, screw this. Answered an ad where it was like straight, straight to 12 inch. And by then I was like in every club. I mean, I played every club from RT Fireflies, Bitter End, Bottom Line, you name it, CBs, everything with this last band. From 21, I answer an ad, full on go to 12, straight to 12 inch. KTU is broken. Kiss is now alive and well and living in New York, the station. Right. I'm living in New York. I'm, I'm faring well. I'm always driving in. I'm still, I'm living in my mother's house. I took it over. My mother's living in an ashram in freaking Kapals or whatever in Lenox, Massachusetts. Right. Everybody knows it living under a guru. And I took over a house in Long Island and then I'm just living in the clubs, you know, Unbelievable. So it seems like, you know, you grew up, you know, like you talked about with your little transistor radio, you loved Stevie Wonder, you loved, you know, Motown, you, you were exposed to musicals, all these types of different music. It seems like as you're trying to come up, you were willing to sing with whatever band you thought, I guess, you fit well, with, I sang, regardless right? I mean, of, I started, th- those were original bands. Right. Like who gets the opportunity? I wasn't singing cover bands at all. So you have to understand right out the gate, I, I like a guy comes up to me, I'm working at 18 in a, in a health food store. I got to make money. And I'm like, the guy comes up to me, he went to high school with me and he goes, well, you look at me like, you know, I, everybody knew I sang. He goes, you want to join a band? I'm in this band. Da, 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 da. I'm the drummer. I go, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I go, dude, of course. And he goes, well, well, Leslie, like I'm joining this band with these guys, but it's original music. I go, dude, sweet. <laughs> He's like a guy I know from high school and he's two years older than me. And I go, I'm working in the health food store. I'm going to Nassau community and studying voice. And I'm still going to my coach in the city. And he goes, yeah, I go, I'm not going away to high school. Screw it. I'm going to stay here. I'm like in New York city. It's like the best school, you know, my best teacher in the world is here. I'm going to go to, he's out of Juilliard. What am I doing? Yeah. My mother ran away to go live in an ashram. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I bet he still tells that story. And no one believes him. Frank DeSaro, he went on the tour. He was on my oh. first first oh, drummer okay. on my first okay. tour. Tommy Burns, I took him right from the straight cast. Oh. You ask him. First well, guitar player, first drummer. Wow. Done. He probably tells the story anyways. 
Oh, bully me. He goes, you want to, you want to play in my, but that was Frank. And Frank goes, and that's Frank. And that was, I'll never forget, but that was the band. But it was, it wasn't really the first band. It was the band that I went into him. That was felony. And when that fell apart, I was like, he's like, don't worry. Like, and I go, when I, when I made the record, tell it to my heart. And that's, when the shit hit the fan, <laughs> because that was just me and Rick. Right. That's how I met Rick. And at that, at that point, are you, um, again, you sang a lot of different right. genres of music. You loved a lot of different genres, genres of music. Sure you did. land on the more, uh, you know, I guess it, it, more I freestyle. I never thought in a thousand years I'd be doing dance music. Okay. Like that tell it to my heart would be considered a dance song. Yeah. And that all I knew was I heard Whitney Houston and I heard Aretha Franklin and I heard Natalie Cole on this station called, Kiss FM. And I go, whoever is doing these women, whoever's playing these songs with these big voices, because you had to understand there was um, Alicia came out and, and there was small voices coming out and, and songs that started getting a lot of airplay. Right. This was really kind of mid 80s. And then there was big voices with great songs getting airplay. Let's take Sade out of the mix because she was just so unique unto herself. But she was mid 80s. Okay. And then I go, he gets big voices. And Rick goes, don't lose sight. Now, I connected with Rick Wake because he heard my little demo tape of me with this band called Felony and me with this. And he called me up. And Frank DeSaro gave him my tape. And it was from Frank and I playing in Felony together. Hmm. So Frank introduced me because he said, I did a session with this guy, Rick. And that's how I met Rick Wake. Rick Wake is the one who was living in the basement. <laughs> da, 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 da. And Dee's the one that took Rick under his wing and was working up already, had broke with Twisted Sister and was working with right. Rick in one of the studios because Rick was already brought over from Europe, from London, was, was 19, I was 21. And he met Dee and Dee took him under his wing. Rick had a very likable, big farm boy look. And everybody liked him. He was English. God knows they thought he could perform. He was an engineer. So Alicia had done some tracks in the basement or whatever in this little shithole studio in Belmore. That's all I know. And somehow Frank knew Rick. Somehow he gave Rick my demo because Rick, Frank and I worked together in felony. That's all that happened. And Rick heard my voice and just was like, bing, bing, bing. Here's this unknown chick, like my voice. And all I know is in my heart, I'm like, whoever sings and gets, and in my mind, I was like, I didn't know it was Clive Davis. I didn't know anything. All I know is I heard Whitney Houston. I heard Aretha Franklin, who resurrected her career, right? right. And uh, Natalie Cole. And I go, whoever gets this, gets that. Tell it to my heart. A year later, I'm 23 years old. Boom, gets signed by Clive Davis. I produced that song with Rick Wake. We find it. My dad pays us, gives me the money to produce it. And that's after Rick and I put out two 12 inches already under Leslie. Right. And then we come up with a, in a baby book. We've already been produced two singles through one through Bolognese studio right. <laughs> and then Bolognese. one on our own. And that was tell it to my heart. Right. And, and like you are saying, uh, you never imagined being a dance artist, but the music is almost secondary. Well, we knew the only way you could put out a single and not go through this whole like showcase well, yeah. bullshit by ourselves and put it out ourselves and promoted ourselves. We went through the whole, was you could put a 12 inch by yourselves. We did the, we did it already. Yeah. We could promote it ourselves and get on the, get on the, uh, you know, midnight spins and get people to hear it and put it out on Tommy boy. And we already did. And then jive records would hear it. And we could get, a, you know, we right. could get heat from the labels. We already did the whole process. So again, 
we didn't want to go backwards. We knew how to go forwards. Yeah. But I was going to say, and, you, 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 and the next thing you know, I was sitting in a label's office and A&R had heard it and they wanted to sign it. And we got the shittiest deal on the planet and we still went for it. And the rest is kind of history with the <laughs> shittiest deal on the fucking planet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In your book, you, you, you talk about how, you know, this is an era when folks will remember Prince changed his name to a symbol. And was wearing. Oh, that's Prince even. And he still had all his publishing. Right. And he, yes. So if, if, even. And then you have George Michael and it goes right. on and goes on in the rest of history. And until we have our chips and our likenesses, <laughs> our music, <laughs> then yeah. I will, I will say yes. Huh. So, you know, so thinking about the eighties, cause yes, this is an eighties show. Wow. Yeah, uh, you, how does it compare then? It seems like it's maybe harder to break because there's so much competition because anybody could put something out, but it seems like you could also have more ownership and control and therefore more of the revenue. Would you wish, do you wish you had come up now versus eighties? Oh, I don't know. I love that. I sold records, you know, yeah. the thing about ownership and records and sound, it's so convoluted. Just yeah. ask muddy waters or yeah. ask anybody that sang it, wrote it yeah. or, it's so convoluted a song. Yeah. But I think um, today it seems like folks could, and so what you're, what you're referring to is you could write a song and get certain a cut, but then the folks who actually publish it, get a cut. Then the folks who actually record it on a piece of material, you know, vinyl record back in the days, they get no, a cut. Well, it's who puts it out or, and owns the actual right, master. Mass sure. Distributes it. So it's now folks can dump stuff on YouTube. It seems like one person could be all of that. And if they make it big, uh, you know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hey, we love the 80s more than any other decade anyway. We think everything after the 80s sucks. So I think, to, you know, the point in your book also is what you had to, like you said, putting the 10,000 hours in. It seems like kids today expect to just, you know, work social media to a point where they become a star that way. Amazing platform. And I, I honestly, it's an amazing, listen, the thing about what now is, is you can look at that as like what started happening is in the late 90s, early 2000s, is we had, you know, we had Napster. We had all these different revelations of music being shared and things being able to be shared through yeah. streaming. And that wasn't existing before. Playlists then could become, you know, we had what was called singles in the day. Beatles yeah. did it, right? They did it with one song. Then it became these they started making music that was worthy of being shared whole albums, right? We became involved in the experience, but right now is a time that we can start doing the experience again. I was just on a very interesting call with Stanley Clark, M Matt Thompson, uh, Mike Thompson, and a couple of other, like they wanted to start doing a short version of the experience again hmm. because live people. And I feel that too. I go to the beach a lot now and I just listen to the whole like feelings of a whole project because I love the feeling now we're willing to sit back and listen I'm feeling the experience again. And maybe you are too. Maybe we're not just switching the channel anymore. Maybe we have right. the time to feel the experience again. And that's kind of, maybe it isn't, to me, that's the seventies when I used mm -hmm. to sit there and listen to it. And maybe that is getting, sitting back and getting a little stoned and taking it in a little bit. I don't know, but I will say this, it's just freeing. So sitting on the phone with these musicians and going, I, I took me back and I started listening to a little bit of Rufus. I started listening to a little return for, to forever. I started listening to some of that stuff. And it's those interlude moments, right? I started listening to Stevie Wonder. I started listening to songs in the key or, or you know, uh, it was a, there's some mus beautiful musical pieces in between there. It was unbelievable. I'm just saying.
I don't know how I got derailed, but like. <laughs> no, it's, well, it, there's <laughs> pros and cons. <laughs> You're right. And, and it actually is interesting because you would think it's like now we, you know, starting with the 80s, I guess we started getting more and more of that instant gratification. You know, we wanted to be able to, we had. We, well, but no, back to the but, internet. And really that's where we were going with this. The yeah. thing is, is that there, there's, there, you can, you know, I, I mean, like I've been in the middle of some really tech wizards and some really incredibly innovative things and, and I've seen what they've done and it's amazing. It really is amazing, but they love music. They love the experience live and they love to be part of it. And sonically, I've never seen anything like it. So I don't want to say this is, this is a disruption with it. I think they just want to hear everything. They want everything. So I don't think it's the end. I think, I think it's to enjoy things more. I do say that I believe that the playlist, if you can make it into such a way that it is, can be honored, that we can explore a whole piece more, I think that would be even more beautiful. I do. Right. I really do. Instead of just song for song. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. We the experience would be nice, again, if it could be the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I miss when you bought an album and you listened to it from start to finish. Yep. I mean, I love, right? I love the instant gratification of being able to find anything I want on the internet, but I miss that feeling of going to the record store and buying an album and laying on the floor and just reading yeah. the lyrics and looking at the pictures while you listen to the thing over and over again, start to finish. You only had and to I stop think, to flip it over. Yeah. I, I miss that feeling. You know what I'm saying? So you want to look at something when you do that, right? So you that want too, to start. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so your book, you know, it's, again, it's a, it's a great tale. It's a true story. It's a great tale. Uh, yeah, thank you. And it, what's next? Any plans for any other forms of this? I'm releasing a single July 8th. Very, Very exciting. Very good. Oh, so please. Yes. And can we expect to see a, uh, maybe a, you know, on your feet or a, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of, what? you know, like uh, the Gloria Estefan musical or um, the sheer Ooh. musical version of this story? Why not? I sure got the music to back it up, don't I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always thought about it. I mean, I'd love to do it as a Vegas uh, musical because it would really give me an opportunity to sit in one place, obviously like Broadway, and really make it come to life. And uh, since we're so, you know, quarantined right now and shows knock on wood, we'll start having a home. Certainly at, at least 2021 we're looking at. That would be a nice place to... Uh, maybe build that. That would be a great opportunity. You know, storyboard it really. It'd be great. Right. Yeah. Well, now we have another thing to look forward to after we're free to leave our homes. So uh, thank you so much, Taylor. Ms. Dane. My pleasure. What a deep, involved, and beautiful experience. Thank you. I had no idea. Yeah, I apologize for all that. Not at all. <laughs> Don't apologize. You were no. you, not you at all. Again, look, I, I'd love to talk about all the records I had in crates when I was a kid and listening to the radio at midnight, you know, listening to uh, BLS wow. or, uh, you know. Beautiful. But whatever. We talked about other things too. Ray, are you used to Will going this way? <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. seem shocked at all. No. You know what? I do, like I said, I do the fluff questions. I'm going to ask you what you had for breakfast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you what your favorite album is. That's what I do. Oh, my God. So ask me what my favorite album is. What is your favorite album? Ooh, there's a few of them, but I would say Blue from Joni Mitchell or mm. definitely one of my tops. 
um, one Stevie Wonder record, or mm-hmm. I'll give you those two for now. And your breakfast? Yeah. Okay. What was your favorite breakfast during Saturday morning cartoons as a kid? Oh. Something with eggs, probably. Whoa. Um, That's omelet, controversial. Egg. That is because it's oh, supposed very to be. Traditional. Oh, totally. A, My father was, if he made anything in the skillet, I was eating it. So yeah. you didn't see for everyone else, it's Fruit Loops or yes. honeycombs yeah. or some or sugary cereal. Like <laughs> no, my dad would get like onion board bread or a bagel or something. Oh, oh yeah. hell, oh, that's a good oh. too. Yeah, yeah, juice from Long Island, dude. No, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a very east, yeah, that's a very East Coast cereal negatoro. No, <laughs> negative. All right, most of our most of our inter- in my defense, most of our interviews are very light, and this is a uh, this has got I a lot of you, stuff in it. I think you scared him. I really do. I scared I think, him. I think he likes you so much that I, he just. I got nervous. He got nervous. My job. I did my job. You did your job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. We thank you we very appreciate much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, boys.